0: Well I started doing my usual acts study, and you ever start doing something especially for the Lord and you just uh, you just can't get into it. You just it's not not coming together. And I started praying about it and I realized that God wanted to take a little different venture this week. Now we'll probably come back to Acts eventually, but for now I want to look at something that we enjoy as Christians. And especially as Pentecostals, we we tend to enjoy it. It's a subject that sparks discussion, emotion. Some have used the word wars when we talk about this subject. It's a topic that we discuss at every deacon board meeting. We discuss to see if it's going well, how can we improve it, all those things. It's a subject that's so important that I seem to have several books of it in my office. Anyone want to venture a guess on what this is? How about worship? There was a term coined in the 80s and 90s called worship wars. How many realize what that was about? Going from overheads to screens, from choruses to worship songs, all that transition in music. Well, we're going to start this today. I'm not sure how long it's going to be, but we're going to dive in right now. And how many enjoyed that awesome worship we just had? And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a moment, but how many know that the music portion of a service is not all there is to worship? You worship in your giving, you worship in all that you do. But we worship God in our lifestyles, in our giving, our ministries. Now, But music, at least for us, is an integral part of our worship. The service revolves sometimes around what God does through the music part of the service. So we're going to look at, see how important this is to God. You know, it's, we want to make sure that we're doing what God wants us to do. So we're going to look at what God says about worship. So we're going to look at the beginning. Back in Exodus 20, God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments, the Ten Rules by which they were to live their lives, along with a whole bunch of others. But what was the very first rule that they have. Do not worship any other gods besides me. Now that doesn't seem to jive with my version of the New Living Translation. My version says, do not worship any gods beside me. God was just starting out with these folks, getting them ready, giving them the rules of the game and how they're supposed to live their lives, and the very first thing he tells them is don't worship anybody else nobody comes before me now you would think that there would be a whole bunch of things that God would want to lead off with with talking to people getting them ready for their life as a servant of God and the very first thing he says is don't worship any other gods before me worship seems to be a paramount thing for God the next commandment verses 4 and 5 of Exodus 20 do not make idols of any kind whether in the shape of birds or animals or fish You must never worship or bow down to them, for I, the Lord, I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God and will not share your affection with any other god. So he kind of repeats himself to make sure they understand: I'm the only one that you are to worship. And it wasn't: I'm the only one you're to respect. I'm the only one you're to know about. It says: I'm the only one you're to worship. So there's an aspect of God that, re, that revolves around the worship of who he is. Going back to the Old Testament Israel, now I didn't realize this until I was reading some information about it. When they were going through the wilderness, going camp to camp to camp, how did they set up their camps? They had three tribes facing north, three tribes facing east, is that right? Three tribes facing west, three tribes facing south. In a perfect circle or perfect paradigm what was in the very center of those camps the temple the place where Israel worshipped was in the center of the camps numbers 2 2 says the tabernacle will be located at the center of these tribal compounds the worship of God was central to Israel Everything focused around the worshiping of God. There's a book called Empowered Evangelicals, and it says this about the placement of the temple, or the tabernacle. It says, God wanted them to know that the very center of their lives was worship. Life around the nation of Israel was to revolve around the worship of God. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, What? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. And if you've ever read Revelation, there's many verses in Revelation talking about worshiping God. Revelation 4.10 says that 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever. 5.13 says "Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and under the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. You know, you never know. It's always nice to get confirmation on what God's doing. And when Jamie mentioned something about uh, McKenna wanting to worship all the time, I went, ding! Confirmation. I like it. When God does that kind of stuff for me, how many of you are familiar with the Westminster Confession or the Westminster Catechism? You know what that says? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to worship Him and enjoy Him forever." Worship is very important in our lives to God. Charles Stanley says this: "Is there anything that God needs? Is there anything he cannot provide for himself? No. Can you name the one thing that God wants from us above all else? He wants us to worship him. Jesus said this about worship in John 4. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. I think most of us are familiar with that verse. I like the way it says, now we, we assume it means must worship in spirit and in truth. But it could also be said, his worshipers must worship. And when you worship, you worship in spirit and in truth. Now, you look at that sentence, the spirit and in truth. What do those two terms mean? When we hear that verse and that, that sentence, and it says, we worship, must worship in spirit and in truth. What are they talking about? Well, the, word, the words in spirit means to be engaging the entire person. Everything about us is in, should be worshiping. Unless there is a real passion for Christ in your spirit, in your life, there's not going to be true worship. Back in Deuteronomy, God says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Now, Jesus repeats that and expands on it a little bit. In Mark 12, it says, The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. And he adds this, all your mind and all your strength. Worship involves, it requires us to be involved in every aspect of our life. Our strength should be involved in it. Our our mind should be involved in it. Everything that is encompassing in us should be involved in the worship of God. When we sing and worship, every part of our being should be entered into worship. When that happens, it should provoke an emotional response from us. When we are truly engaged in worship, it should, something emotional should come out of us, in expression of worship. The the emotion does not drive our worship. It's a result of our worship. When we realize how needy we are and how much God has forgiven us and how good God is and the creator of the universe, we should want to worship him and it helps us to realize how much we need him. Jesus uses the term spirit. Now he also says and truth. That means we have to have an intimate understanding of the God whom we're worshiping. When we're worshiping God, it's possible to have an emotional response to something that you don't know a lot about. You ever watch um, those TV music shows? Idol, Voice. Yeah, for lack of anything else, we'll watch those. And the thing that drives me crazy, it just, you know, maybe it's just me. As they sing a song, you see all the people in the front row doing this. I'm thinking, what are you doing? Why, I, I, we know you're not worshiping, what are you doing? Now, I've been to a lot of concerts, I never did this. I did a lot of this, and a lot of this, but not this. So I don't, I'm not understanding what they're doing, but the point is they're doing what we Christians do but without any truth behind it. It's possible to do all the the physical manifestations of worship, raising your hands and doing all those things without having any knowledge of why you're doing it or who you're worshiping. Spirit without truth leads to a shallow and overly emotional experience. That one author says it's an experience like a high when you leave an emotional experience as soon as you leave the emotion part wears off and now you're back to where you are we have youth convention coming up in a couple weeks well, a week and a half we're leaving right right the thing the main thing that we're praying for is it is that the worship time doesn't become that because whenever worship starts whenever the band starts playing all the kids run up front that's great awesome i love it but i don't want that to be the end of it i want that to be the beginning of it so when they leave the emotional part doesn't leave and they go back to the way they used to be we want this to be a life-changing event for them not just a weekend changing event but a life-changing event and that's what worship is supposed to be and when we enter in and we're just doing it out of habit or because that's what we do or other people doing and we don't have the truth behind why we're worshiping, it's an emotional experience and when you leave it, you go back to the way it was. There must be equal amounts of both spirit and truth to be satisfying and God honoring. Your whole body, your mind, your soul, your strength should be focused on worship and you should realize the God in whom we are worshiping and why we are worshiping him how much we have been forgiven, what God did to bring us to this point, all that God has done in us. All those things that are truth in us should be a part of our worship. Now we mentioned earlier that singing isn't the only way to worship, but it is the way we're talking about today. Now the word worship is an action word. How many of you remember your your third or fourth grade English? nouns are object words verbs are action words worship isn't a noun it's a verb it's an action word the hebrew term for worship literally means to bow self down and the greek word when they use the word worship in greek means to kiss towards or blow a kiss it is not a passive word it's not something we sit back and take in it's something that we participate in. When you watch TV, you're passive. You take it in. It doesn't require any response on your part. When you read a book, same thing. It's, you're reading it. It doesn't require you to do anything. But worship requires an action. Numerous times the word worship is preceded by the words fell down, falling down, fell to the ground. All expressing an action that is part of the worship. Do you ever, what do I have here? Do we surrender ourselves when we worship? You know, we raise our hands. Why do we raise our hands? Do we surrender, exactly. We're not doing it because that's what we do. We're doing it because we are surrendering. When, when a policeman pulls you over, hands up. <laughs> I surrender. When we do that, we are surrendering ourselves to God. Do we, do we have our face or our countenance facing down because we realize how holy God is And how holy we're not do we have that that attitude we really realize how that is it's an action it causes us to do something with our lives do we repent do when you worship the one thing that worship supposed to do is to bring to your mind all the sins we've committed realize how unworthy we are ask for forgiveness once you get the forgiveness that you're able to worship Worship originates from the heart, but it can't only be in the heart. heart is passive. How many of you have closed your eyes, raised your hands, sang every word of every song, and not remembered any of it when you were done? And it's possible to sing those words because you know them and be thinking about something else. How many have done that? I've done it. I do it almost every week, and I have to catch myself because I'm thinking about what I have to do next. Is it too hot? Is it too cold? The light's up. I have to put that stuff out of my mind and focus on worship. The Bible says take every thought captive, and all those things come in to distract you from worship. Worship is an action you have to focus, and you have to concentrate on the goodness of God. Last week and this, and this week it was really cool because once the music was done everyone kept worshiping. It didn't end when the music ended. How many realize that's awesome? Why? Because music is supposed to lead you in. We have a worship leader. It leads you into worship but once you're there you take it from there. It's not the music. It leads you in and puts you in an attitude of worship. There's a phrase in the Old Testament in Second Chronicles 25, verses 1 and 2. It says, think about this. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name, Jehahedon, she was from Jerusalem. And this is the verse. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. it means he did the right things outwardly but his heart wasn't in it how many of us worship and we do all the outward things but our minds a million miles away but we're not focused on it and our hearts not in it do you know someone who you work with they come to work and they do the job but they're not into it. Their heart's not into it. They come in and do the basics and then go home. Or if you have a family life and you have someone who comes home, they're not, they only do things halfway. They're doing the minimum that's required just to get it done. And they don't do it with any heart or any feeling. They do it because they have to do it. That was Amaziah. But you find out in that same chapter, just a few verses after this one, He totally backslides, sins against God, and causes a lot of grief for Judah. You can sing the songs, raise your hands, but if we do it half-heartedly, we are not truly worshiping. We're going just through the motions. When you concentrate on worshiping, That's where the action comes in. You are dismissing the thoughts that try to take your attention away from worship and you concentrate on why you're singing. Sometimes it's easy to concentrate on the lyrics. Sometimes it's easy to concentrate on who you know God to be, what God has done, all the suffering that Jesus took to enable you to be here. All those things can bring your mind back to worship. If we let worship become mechanical, and not truly from spirit and in truth, we will no longer be worshiping, we will be at a concert. Amos was a book about God judging sin in the surrounding nations as well as Israel and Judah. He was kind of laying out what God was gonna do to them. And this moment, Judah and Israel had given all of their uh, doing things right justice, that was all thrown out the window. Everything that Judah was doing was because they were doing it for themselves. There was no righteousness, no judgment, no, uh, no justice being dispensed. And so Amos comes down and says this about them in verse five or chapter 5, verse 21. He says, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offering, offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings away with your hymns of praise they are only noise to my ears i will not listen to your music no matter how lovely it is instead i want to see a mighty flood of justice a river of righteous living that will never run dry if we think that worship is an end to itself we're mistaken worship is supposed to reflect a righteous lifestyle if we worship and we go out and live like we want to live the rest of the week, then what we're doing here, God is not accepting. Worship has to be backed up. What did he say? Verse 24, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, a river of righteous living. That's what I want to see in your worship. And then the music part of it will come naturally. God requires worship, worship to be accompanied by a righteous life. How can we worship in spirit and in truth if we don't live the truth that we're supposed to be worshiping? Worship is meant to accompany a righteous life, not replace it. And I was going through these notes this morning. I thought about, in the way I was raised, you can live like you want to live all week long. You You go to church on Saturday, confess it all, and then you're good to go on Sunday. How many know what I'm talking about? You go to confession, you spill your guts. The guy there says, okay, you do this, and you're good for the rest of the week. It's not how it works. It's not a one-time confession. It's not like live like you want to live, come in and worship, and you're good to go. Worship should accompany a righteous lifestyle. It's not to replace it, not instead of, It's supposed to be a reflection of how you live the other six days of the week. We worship because we know all that God has done for us, what He is doing, and what is promised to us when it's over. And because of that, we worship because we're grateful. We are grateful for what God has done. I'm going to close with this last verse. Hebrews 12.28 says, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be destroyed, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. Now when the Bible talks about fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's reverential trust. You trust God. And you're also fearful of living a life that God isn't pleased with how many have ever said you are afraid of your parents my dad is going to kill me if I do X you know your parents loved you but you're afraid of an action that you did would cause them to bring punishment upon you that's fear not that God is wanting to crush you but you don't want to put yourself in a position where God has to correct you to bring you back So when we worship God, we please God by worshiping him with holy fear. Lord, I love you. I appreciate you. And I want to live my life in such a way that I will never bring reproach upon you, that I will never call judgment upon myself. I don't want to be corrected, Lord. I want to live right. So I'm going to worship you in that attitude. And God, how good you are to me. Would you stand? I'm going to ask the team if they would come back. And I was gonna originally do Holy Spirit, but I think I wanna do the stand. Can we do that? Because the stand talks about standing in awe of God. Oh. We're calling in part two. Bible says that He inhabits the praise of His people. One sure way to experience the presence of God is to be able to worship Him in spirit, which means everything you have, everything you are, you are worshiping God. And in truth, you know the God in whom you worship. You know the truth about what Jesus has done for us. And you know the reason why we worship. His presence will be here. And His Spirit will move in each and every person to fill us, to renew us, to revive us, to excite us. That's why we worship. Because we know that God is an awesome God. And he is worthy. He's worthy of worship. Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning and we thank you for who you are. We worship you. You're the creator of the universe. You had no beginning, you have no end. And yet you stepped down into our lives. You gave your son. So that we can have that relationship restored to you because we know that our sins have kept us from you and you loved us so much that you wanted to buy them back you wanted to pay our penalty and so you sent jesus who took every punishment that each one of us should rightly receive and because of that And because of our trust in that fact, we now have a relationship. We can call you dad. We can talk to you one on one. We don't need anybody else talking to you for us. We can come and talk to you. Maybe you're here this morning your very first time here, you've been here many years. And you just don't, you don't know about this relationship. You know about Jesus, you've maybe been in church and you've heard all the sermons, but you don't have that relationship where you can really reach out and, and talk to Jesus. And you're not sure why we sing or why they sing or why they raise your hands. But you realize it's something that's an emotional response to a truth that we have. And you want that same feeling in your life, you want the same thing in your life. To know you have a relationship with God the Father. If that's you and you want that, the Bible says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. It is possible for you to know for certain that you have that relationship with Christ and all it takes on your part is to believe in the death of Christ and some payment for your sins and that God forgives you and draws you into himself. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. Hallelujah. Father, we're thankful that we are able to come and worship You. We are thankful, Jesus, that our worship, as much as we enjoy it, worship is very vital to our relationship with You. You want us to worship You. You want us to acknowledge that. And Lord, I pray that You would fill each one of us with Your Spirit. Allow us not just to sing the songs on Sunday, but to live a lifestyle of worship the other six days of the week. So people will see things in us that they desire, that they don't have, and they will be gladly to share with them why we worship Jesus. Father, I pray your blessings upon each person here this morning. Fill them Allow them to enjoy your presence. Allow them to enjoy their knowledge of you. And as we leave this morning, I pray your blessings upon each one, not just here in this building, but, Lord, the other six days a week. We need your blessings. We need your presence. We need the power of the Spirit so that we're able to live the righteous life you've called us to. So, Father, I commit each person to you, and I know that you'll do it, because that is your will. And we do it in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God, ha- God help you. God have a g- give you a good week. Experience him not just here, but every day. Worship him every day. Praise the Lord.